0: Lions, tigers, and komodo dragons? Oh my! Mickey isn't the only animal that can be found inside the Disney theme parks. You might find yourself savoring in the savannah, swimming with dolphins, or just hanging out with Kate the jumping spider. For the animal enthusiasts, the parks hold endless opportunities to make new friends. But what about the cast members that take care of them? This week on Slice of Disney, animals at the parks.
1: Look for the... Bare necessities, the simple bare necessities. Forget about your worries and your strife. I mean the bare necessities on Mother Nature's recipes. Welcome
0: to Slice of Disney, bear an awesome Disney theme park podcast. I am your host, Kelly Washington, Disney Obsessed Enthusiast and real life Tinkerbell.
2: And I'm your co-host, Will Lentz, occasional Disney goer and real-life Red Panda. Aww. Which is something you might be able to see at the Animal Kingdom. I don't know. I've never been.
0: I do know you can see it at the San Diego Zoo for sure. I don't think they have a red panda that I recall at Animal Kingdom. Well, we could ask our guest. I know. Well, so we have a really, really exciting guest today. It's a world I don't know a lot about, but I was really curious. So it felt like the right guest to have.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's very exciting. Um, I obviously teased uh, Animal Kingdom there. Um y- we're always looking to have on people that have experiences that we can't have um, at the parks. And that can oftentimes be cast members or people that have worked in different interesting positions there. And so really excited to have Rachel Figueroa on. Um, She has served in a lot of different, uh, capacities um, at, the, at the parks, most of them dealing with animals. So we're excited to learn a lot about uh, the different things that she's done.
0: Her journey um, starting in a college program type situation, inspiring the rest of his, her journey, there's going to be a whole lot of Disney and fun facts coming your way. So without further ado, we have Rachel Figueroa. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel Figaro is not used to being on a podcast, so we're forcing her because her job is so stinking cool.
1: Okay, well, thank you. I appreciate it. And I really loved all of the things that I got to do working for Disney, both at Disney's Animal Kingdom. I also worked at Epcot for a little while, and it really catapulted me into where I am today. doesn't seem like it would be connected, but working at Animal Kingdom was my first experience really working in the zoo world. And it made me realize, uh, first and foremost, that you could work with animals as an actual real full-time job. And then also that there were really cool avenues that I could use to pursue as a career for myself.
0: So when you yeah. went to college, did you know you were going to be pursuing some kind of veterinary uh, oh. career? No. So I started undergrad either wanting to be a forensic anthropologist like on bones
1: or I wanted to be a human doctor. And then when I was a sophomore in undergrad, I did the Disney College program, which was something that one of my neighbors had done um, when I was growing up. I think she was a lifeguard. And I just thought it was really cool that she got to go like live at Disney full time. And so I applied and I worked in attractions at Disney's Animal Kingdom in the spring of 2010. And I worked at It's Tough to Be a Bug and the Festival of the Lion King. So. Oh,
0: so you were, you were a cast member? Yeah to start what was that like
1: so i remember going through uh one of the orientations we had declamation, which is your orientation to jack disney's animal kingdom the park itself and at the end of it you go to costuming and you put on the costume for your area and i cried because it was so ugly <laughs> so <laughs> the outfit I... that uh the the folks over at it's supposed to be a bug wear are terrible they fit super (laughs) terrible um I think they actually have changed it now um the park kind of went through like a park-wide revamp of all their costumes to make them all a little bit more like cohesive but what they wore previous to this uh these like bug pajamas is what we called them with a weird little like (laughs) triangular hip sash it was so ugly and I I literally cried
0: (laughs) I, I took that in the totally opposite way. Like knowing me, I'm like, Oh, she cried because she's so excited no, she's working no. at Disney. <laughs> I put it on and I said, People are gonna
1: see me in there. And <laughs> it actually was fine. I really loved working there. Um, basically for both of those jobs, you're sort of like a glorified theater usher. So it's a lot of, you know, directing people where to park their strollers or like you know move all the way to the end of your row you say that a lot and one of the most effective ways to do that is when you're at the front especially at festivals of lion king uh, you stand in front of everybody say oh how are y'all doing like get everybody super ramped up and excited Everyone stand up your around real big in the air and then once everybody's standing up you just like force them to keep moving to the side and just like condense those rows so that was my That's secret smart. it was always it's a psychological scary. trick yeah <laughs> because nobody ever wants to step over someone, and they always go halfway down the row and stop. Sure. Very, very psychological. Even if you tell them to move all the way to the end, they get to that halfway point, and they think, nope, I'm going here. Everyone else can go around me. When I do no feel like when people
0: end. are on their Disney vacations, they're like, well, I'm entitled to the best seat because I spent so much money to be here. But since everyone at Disney feels that way, yeah, it's very strange.
2: It and everyone be- spent the same amount.
1: It's very, yeah. very, I guess I wouldn't say selfish. It's very, it's very sort of self-centered in both a positive way and a negative way. Like you're there so that you and your family can have a really great time. And then you forget that everyone else's family also needs to have a really great time. And right. <laughs> I, I remember, I don't even remember what year it was, but at some point a woman was really mad at me because the park was really crowded Um, around spring break. It was, some week in March, and she said, "Why is it so crowded here?" I took my kids out of school a week before spring break, so I could come here, and the parks wouldn't be crowded. And I, you know, said, "I'm, you know, I'm really sorry you feel that way. We can try to find things that have a shorter line. There's lots of great things to do in Animal Kingdom where you don't have to wait. But also, not everyone's spring break is at the same time. Actually, all <laughs> right. of February and April and May, March, February, March, April." <laughs> Whatever these months are, that's spring break for somebody. <laughs> Even if it's not spring right. break for your kids.
0: <laughs> Makes Bl- sense. Uh, in the most southern way possible, bless her heart. She <laughs> she just didn't know. She didn't she didn't quite understand. But I still really loved it. So we and how what brought you from being um more in a cast member Usher position to working with like wh- what's the next step in your journey? So,
1: this it's very specific. I remember this very clearly. It was my
0: second day of training for stuff to be a bug,
1: and it's really the training's not that hard. I picked up on it really quickly, and we had a lot of free time, like my trainer and I, and we were walking through, looking at the animals in the park, just because we had time, and it, you know, going on a park tour. I think was part of training, and behind the, the tree of life, there's a bunch of different animal exhibits, and one of them was Saddlebilled storks, is what it was. Um, and there was a keeper there who was doing scale training um, with the saddle stork. So basically uh, she wanted the sorks to stand on a scale, literally like a, a human scale that you would also stand on if you are into those sorts of things. Um, and every time the stork would take a step towards the scale, the keeper would throw the stork a fish and then eventually was feeding the stork while he was standing on the scale so that they could figure out his weight without actually having to like catch him up and weigh him and I thought that was so freaking cool (laughs) that they could just (laughs) ask the sort to go stand on a scale so they could figure out how much he weighed and I had just never seen anything like that before and I talked to that keeper for a really long time probably in this like this scheme of training because you're really busy and there's lots of things you should be doing And I was just getting paid, basically, to stand there and talk to this person. And that sort of was like a light bulb for me. Like, oh, I want to do something like that instead. And so I went back to undergrad at the end of that semester and decided instead of being a human doctor, I wanted to be a veterinarian. And more specifically, I wanted to be the veterinarian that took care of animals at zoos and was a part of training, like, what I got to see with that saddle stork.
0: Right. And so how did you get – did you go back to Disney then after that semester?
1: I did. Uh, So the spring of my senior year,
0: I went back and did a
1: professional internship uh, with the Kids Discovery Club. So this is the program that's now the Wilderness Explorers at Walt Disney World.
0: Oh, okay. Uh, So
1: back in the day before Up had come out or – Maybe it was around that time. I honestly don't remember, Uh, but it was in 2012. Um, We staffed the kids discovery clubs around the park and this is an education position. So basically the kids would go around the park and they had a little like a pamphlet that had five different, six different, seven. I don't remember. (laughs) You had a a number of different activity centers around the park that you would go to. You do some sort of like nature, science, animal-based activity. And then at the end, they would earn a stamp. This was just a really fun way for me to talk to kids about animals and nature and science and conservation. And it was really fun. It it was another kind of eye-opening moment for me that you can work at a zoo, but you don't have to just be taking care of animals. Like There's lots of different opportunities. At, at a zoo, whether it's working with the public or working with animals or, or finding a way to do both.
2: I have a question um, about, you were talking about the, how they earn their stamps, right? They would go around to these like six or seven different stations. Um, is that yes. right? Um, where like they, it, Can you give me an example of a thing that they would have to, like an activity or, or, or kind of something that happened there? Because I, I think that that sounds cool.
1: So it's pretty similar to what they do now. Now the, like, the Wilderness Explorers have an actual like full activity book and there's a bunch more stations. And each station has a different theme. And honestly, I there were specific activities that the kids were supposed to do somehow, but it was also kind of dealer's choice. With like, if I decided sure. to go to the like the station that was behind the Tree of Life, um, was about like insects or uh, like invertebrates. So we would have different we call it like bug boxes. So it's these like plexiglass containers that had tarantulas or scorpions or millipedes or Madagascar hissing cockroaches and you would show the kids those animals and you know teach them about them and I see the faces that you're making and all of the adults would do the same thing that was such a
0: big thing Rachel is sitting here with a smile on her face as she's talking about this and Will and I are like cringing (laughs) like I'm so glad that you're excited about it.
1: (laughs) We would also take out these bug boxes to the front of the park in the morning. So like right when the park opens and there's all these people that are super gung-ho about coming in, we would sort of station ourselves around the entrance and you're holding the box and the kids would see it and come running and they'd say, Oh, this is so cool. Like let me tell you everything I know about spiders. Because kids are really into that. And then their parents would come over and scream. Like always. Oh. They would come over and scream or they'd be like, you ruined my day. Why did you show me this? Like, Well, you don't have to look. But also, <laughs> all these animals get like a, a really bad reputation as being kind of scary, but I think we, had, uh, we had jumping spiders that were really cute. And looking at them from the plexiglass box, like that's a very safe way to observe them. So the kids would get of really course. close. There was one, her name was Katie. And I know that that was her name because on the back of her box, it was labeled and they're taken care of by animal keepers in the park. Like there are specific people whose job it is to take care of the invertebrates and they're really passionate about them too. And they named them. (laughs) But I just remember that one jumping spider named Katie, I thought was so pretty. You could actually tell whether they were male or female based on the coloration. I think it's going to be terrible if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that the females were black and the males were brown but it could be the opposite that's cool
0: i don't want to um like move too far about like your timeline but i am curious you know in veterinary school do you have to learn about insects and how to take care of them
1: it's really funny that you phrased it that way because like 90 percent of my classmates would phrase it exactly the same like we have to learn about this (laughs) <laughs> and it really depends on the school that you go to. So I go to Tusk University in Massachusetts, uh, which kind of prides itself on, on really having a general, pretty broad course of training. Um, so we don't specialize at that school. Some schools you go to and say, okay, I only want to be a small animal vet. I'm going to take this track. I'm only going to learn about small animals like cats and dogs. Um, or, or like, I want to be a cow vet. So I'm only going to learn about like cow things. Uh, But in order to actually become a veterinarian, you have to take a board exam. Uh, So Navle, North American Veterinary Licensing Exam. And it's questions over every species Um, and like statistics. um, I had like human medical questions that are vaguely related um, because one of the things we're concerned about is that is zoonotic diseases. So diseases that can be passed between animals and humans. So I had a question about. I feel about, like we're
0: going through a time where that's important. It, it really, really is. <laughs> um, one of the the CEOs of one of the vaccine
1: developers is a veterinarian. Uh, so there's oh, really cool. a lot.
0: I think it's... I want to say it's Pfizer. That's super K-P. cool. I I didn't know that. Yeah.
1: So they're in charge of a lot of things. You have to know a lot of things. So I I didn't have any like spider questions on my board exam, but I did have a lot of like random fish questions. Uh so it's something that kind of like a learn it and dump it for a lot of vets because it's not something that people get asked about but honestly you know if you have a pet tarantula you should be able to take it to the vet and your vet should know something about it even if it's just like oh its leg fell off like it's probably going to grow back at its next mole
0: I, I wouldn't know that yeah. we did
1: have a class about we did have a class not specifically about tarantulas but we had a class in second year and a class in third year that's about like zoo medicine, so how to treat exotic species that aren't cats, dogs, horses, pigs, sheep, cows, whatever. That's
2: that's interesting. I mean, it it too feels like, and I'm sure this is very common um, in the field, but it seems like you especially are. Are just passionate and interested in these different types of animals and, and different types of insects, so that lends to it as well. I think is like it, that it's cool you get to learn the uh, the things that you might not have come into an office or you might yeah. not see it at, at in your particular department at a zoo. So that's cool. I'm glad to hear that you guys get to study that stuff.
0: Yeah, jumping back to animal kingdom. So you're working um, in the educational portion now. Um, you're getting more excited, more passionate, it seems. Mm -hmm. Uh, What's the next step? What happens next?
1: So I went back after being a a conservation education presenter was my title um, and decided, okay, I don't actually want to pursue veterinary school after this. Like Maybe I will later on, but it's not what I'm going to do straight out of undergrad. So I went back, graduated um, and kind of during this time, not related to Disney, but I was working at other zoos. So I had done summer internships um, as like an intern working for the vet at a zoo in Texas. I worked for the zoos um, and the aquarium that were in the city where I went to undergrad or I volunteered, never paid. Uh, It takes a long time to be paid in this field, but
0: I think, I feel you, I feel you. Yeah, you do a lot of work for free until you
1: finally get that like very low wage that you're very proud of. But yes. it's all worth it, it's all worth it in the end. Um, but yeah, so when I graduated from undergrad, um, I went back and did another professional internship and this one was at Epcot. So it was an education internship at the Seas Aquarium in Epcot, uh, which honestly I kind of had forgotten existed. So it's associated with the like the Finding Nemo
0: ride. Yeah, I always forget about it. You have the restaurant over there, uh, Coral Reef, and then you you have the like really bad Nemo ride that is one of the only rides that I like really. And dislike. the line
1: is always and, really long
0: for a ride that's
1: only and, like okay, and mostly
0: broken. Yeah, and so then, but there's this beautiful aquarium over there. There's manatees and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do, I always forget that about that section of the park. Yeah,
1: and what people may not know is that you don't have to do the Nemo ride in order to get into the aquarium like it's totally fine to go into the the gift shop and go into the seas that way like it's it's not it's not even like a, a secret hack to the ride or anything like you don't have to go on the ride in order to get into the building and it's something that I would definitely really recommend too because it's an amazing aquarium it's actually one of the largest uh, in the world it was the largest aquarium in the world back when it was first built wow I didn't in the 1980s I didn't know that all these facts have left my brain at this point things that I definitely used to know um, so it's like a 5.7 million gallon um, like single aquarium and there's a few different smaller aquariums in the building as well uh, it's now only the second largest in this country uh, because the Georgia Aquarium is larger Oh, it's not competition. They're all amazing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> a question about that. Yeah. Um, did aquariums become more popular uh, since then? And is that why? Like, or like, because I, I, I don't think, I can't think of the last time I went to an aquarium. Uh, I do think I would very much enjoy it. Um. But is it like, what, how's that industry doing? Is it becoming more popular? Are people liking to go to zoos more? Or is it becoming less of a thing?
1: I think, zoos in general have always been incredibly popular there's lots of like cool fun facts and studies out there like more people visit zoos annually than go to baseball games as far as i love like, american pastime that's, honestly i that's cool. it's cool i think it's in like straight numbers but it's probably like with baseball games there's a lot of like frequent flyers <laughs> like sure <laughs> same people are represented a few times in that sample um but aquariums i think there's just not as many because there's there's a lot that goes into building and sustaining an aquarium um, that, that I guess you don't necessarily have the infrastructure for. So like you have to get all of that water from somewhere and it's going to be for the most part, saltwater aquarium. So if you have a saltwater aquarium, you're gonna need the salt and the minerals that go into it. Right. So your options are either to make it yourself or to pump it in from the ocean. So. Aquariums that are along the coastline, and that's really where you're going to see most of them, uh, for the most part, are pulling in their water from the ocean. Um, They're using that for their animals, and then it's getting put back out into the ocean, but completely filtered and cleaned. So it's actually going back out cleaner than when it came in, for the most part. Um, But because it's coming in from the ocean, you're also really susceptible to things like. Like storms, like if it rains a lot, that water is going to become more dilute. It's not going to be as salty. You're still going to have to add a lot um, to the water to make sure it's safe for your animals who can only live within a really specific, like, window of things like how salty the water actually is. Um, and That's then really interesting. <laughs> it is. <isn't> it? <laughs> I mean, I just...
2: It's a thing I never would have thought about, but it's like, oh, of course. There's no, all the science that
0: goes into that. So this is much. so fascinating. All I, because I always am like, are the like, are the fish happy? Like, do they have enough room to swim? Like, are they happy fish? I think that's a
1: really, really good question because it's something that we don't really know all that much about. That's one of my favorite things about zoo medicine or like exotic medicine in general. Is there's so much we don't know, and even something as basic as like. Does it hurt that fish when I touched it? Like that's something we just, we just don't know. We don't have a good way of finding these things out. And it was also really difficult to figure out in domestic animals too, because with humans, if you think about like, how do you know something is hurting? They're going to tell you, or you're going to see it on their face. Uh, but we can't really look at facial expressions in a lot of species of animals. And you definitely can't look at them in fish. So You have to find other parameters to try to figure out like, are they okay with what we're doing? And things like, you know, are they eating? Are they moving around a lot? Um, Are they moving around too much? Um, Because for some species, like you want them to be just staying in a really small area and then other species, you wanna see them like going around and using their whole environment. So it's a lot of knowing what's normal for that species in the wild, but then also how do we know what's normal for that species in the wild? So there's lots of questions, that we just don't have the answers to. And then you have really curious people and scientists that are going out and trying to figure it out. And then they're taking that information back to the people that are taking care of them at aquariums so that we can use that information to make sure the fish are really happy because that's the goal. Like you want people to be able to see them and learn about them, but also you wanna make sure that they're, they're really well cared for in the environment that they have. Yeah. So I, that's, I, think I always so, think but about their well-being. It's, it's really important to think about it, and it's just hard too because we only have our own experiences to draw back on, and it's really hard to tell. Like, well, it's if I was just there doing that thing,
0: like I wouldn't be very happy. But also, like I'm not a fish, right? <laughs> True. Hard to say. I've always thought it was so cool strange that that restaurant coral reef. I always thought it was so strange, you're like eating a fish dinner next to
1: looking at the fish
0: I so I won't let my family go there because like that's too sad
1: <laughs> I think they do have other things there you know all those Disney restaurants like have the different yeah. fingers macaroni um but also like the fish are eating lots of fish too <laughs> like that's they're sharks yeah. that are there like they're being fed like technically pieces of not their brethren because it's all like restaurant grade seafood that's brought in specifically for them um but they They live much wilder lives than we do. It doesn't seem to bother them as much.
2: <laughs> yeah, they're the, they're the real enemies, Kelly.
0: Yeah, there you go. My bad, my bad. So what um so working at the aquarium, um, were you still on the educational side?
1: Yeah, so I was still on the education team, so part of the bigger like animal program department as a whole, or the Disney Animal Science and Environment like umbrella, which is now, like what of the lines of business for Disney as a whole just like like attractions or operations or like entertainment merchandising like it's it's just another like arm of the Disney company it's Animal Science and Environment um so for that I was primarily just like doing activities with people that are Coming to the aquarium. There were a couple different scripted presentations you could do. And there's a diver that goes in the, the dive tube that's in the middle. Yeah. Um, you do the scripted presentations for that. Um, we also taught programs, the youth education series uh classes for kids that would come, um, like school kids that would come in, and sign up for those programs, which was really fun. Um, and then really Special part of that internship that they don't do anymore is they required their interns to be scuba certified because one day a week we would be farmed out to the marine mammal team in the morning and we would help them. Uh, so we'd come in early, um, get all the food ready for the manatees. They eat like a hundred heads of lettuce a day each.
0: Wow. So there's
1: just a lot of getting all of their lettuce <laughs> ready for the morning. Um, and then we would get suited up and go in and clean the manatee pool. Whoa. And it sounds, it sounds really cool, and it was really cool, but also, like, it's kind of gross. Like, manatees, <laughs> I'm sure their poo is too big to go through the filter, so you actually have to go in with a vacuum and suck it up yourself. <laughs> so that's intern life
0: right there. So you're just, like, vacuuming manatee poo, Yep, and it was before guests would come into the aquarium for the
1: most part, but usually kind of by the end um, of that dive, think there would be guests in the aquarium, and so then you're like saying high five or like rock, paper, scissors with guests through the window, like feeling super cool and special,
0: <laughs>
1: because it, it's just a really kind of fun thing to do, and I really, really enjoyed that aspect of it. It wasn't animal care at all, like I didn't have any direct animal interaction, I guess I should say, because cleaning environments, like prepping diets like that is a huge part of animal husbandry that a lot of people don't realize. Like that's the majority of your day, like not petting your animals, which you really never get to do. But, you know, as an educator, that was something that I, I wouldn't necessarily get the opportunity to do otherwise, but it was really, really fun. And I actually have never gone diving, not in an aquarium. Um, I got super certified in a lake. And since then have only gone diving in aquariums.
0: Oh, that's really so. funny.
1: <laughs> I've done many hours of dives and gotten to see some really cool animals doing it, but it's always been in an aquarium.
0: In a very controlled environment.
1: Yep. Very temperature uh, control.
0: And d- so nice. did you stay there long at the aquarium? Um, so I, I did the professional internship
1: from summer of 2013 through like around Christmas of 2013 Um, and then because I had already graduated I stayed on part-time after that Um, so wanting to continue on with the education team at Disney wanting to build up a career there and I was part-time for for a while I think until October of the next year um, when I moved to my next step in the Disney ladder and went back to Disney's Animal Kingdom and worked for a Wild Africa Trek. Uh, so I was an excursion guide, which is another educator role, but definitely a much more unique one where we, you know, put on the harnesses and put the guests out on the bridges over the safari. Oh, went yeah, on I've that s- long three-hour tour.
0: Yeah, I've, so I've seen this. So this is something that, uh, as a guest, like, you'd have to sign up for. Um, right,
1: so it's a premium tour.
0: Okay. Um, and is it expensive?
1: Yes. Everything at
0: Disney is expensive. And it was also really worth it. Uh,
1: because it wasn't really I mean, I guess honestly, I haven't done that many of the the premium tours. And there were a lot of people who did it just because it was something on a list where they could do it that's more, you know, expensive and exclusive. But what for what the guests got to do, like if they're going out on those bridges, which is really, really fun, very unique opportunity. We're taking photos of them the whole time and the guides are all pretty professional photographers to the point where the guests always think like, Oh yeah, the photo pass person that came with us. And like, <laughs> no, we were, we were both your guys. <laughs> we're both your guys. We both have this knowledge. because uh, There would be two excursion guides for every tour um, with a max of 12 people. Um then they go out on their special trucks down the safari that have special places where you can actually go and stop. Uh, so you're out there for, for a fairly long time, um, just getting to learn more about the animals. And instead of having kind of that storyline that the safari drivers go through, and I know that's changed a little bit um, too, where the, it's less of the storyline and more of just facts about the animals. Yeah. We were really able to give a lot more uh, detail to what's going on out in the savannas. How do we actually take care of these animals? You know, what's involved with them? How do we distinguish one animal versus the other? You know, are there any cool conservation stories or just fun animal stories? Um, and then also, guess got to have lots of really great photos with animals in the background. I'm sure I, helped a lot of people get their, you know, Facebook profile pic. <laughs>
0: uh, so you got to know, like, did you get to know these animals personally? Or was it more these guides would inform you and then you inform guests like what would it what did that look
1: so, like so really cool thing about wild Africa Trek is we as, as a team is we were really um kind of not integrated with the animal keeper team but really friendly with them um so they would come and, and share stories with us about the animals or we had lots of lots of guides on the team that had really cool different experiences maybe not with those specific animals but had you know, animal care backgrounds that they can um, draw on and explain, you know, stories about the animals. Um, one of our uh, sides that I worked with uh, had been, a like, a naturalist all over the world and had these really wild stories of birding in these, like, incredibly dangerous countries and stories of, you know, oh, I'm leading my guests through here, but then we had to go on the run from, like, the military police but then we saw this really rare bird, so it made it all worth it. His stories were always crazy. We were always like, you know, you're going to leave one day and just tell us it was all made up. 100%
0: true. Wow.
2: Um, that's interesting. Yeah, I was wondering do you have, a, this is, I guess, a little bit bridged off of what Kelly had asked about um, personal relationship with the animals. Um, a simpleton question here Did you have a favorite animal? <laughs>
1: I really liked all of the animals. Um, <laughs> Species-wise, I think giraffes are probably uh, some of the most fun. They're really fun to watch. They're really just charismatic in general, and they're so weird-looking. Like You watch giraffes walk around and think, like, why is your neck so long? Why do you <laughs> look like this? Why is this a thing that exists in the world? Um, it does it, look like – so a, fun to watch.
0: It looks like the, like – A giraffe looks like it was drawn by a kid – as like a made-up animal in their imagination, and then they're like, look, God, make it happen. Like, Yeah. <laughs> sure.
2: Uh, you said they're charismatic. How so?
0: So there's a, a fun phrase in the,
1: the scientific community where you have charismatic megafauna. So those are really big animals that everybody likes.
0: Uh-huh. So any
1: animal that you can probably name that you like, oh, I go to the zoo because I want to see the gorillas or the elephants. Like, those are the charismatic megafauna, big things everyone likes. <laughs> so the giraffes are just really they're really fun to watch like they're just kind of ambling around the savannah uh they're stretching out their necks and they're really long tongues to eat things above you they're just fun to watch and sure. we also had a lot of really young giraffes like baby giraffes and Aww. they get to zoomies just like cats and dogs do uh, and Sometimes they would just you know, be walking around, and then they'd remember, "I'm a giraffe," and then they just <laughs> take off across the savanna, and it was just so fun. That's cool. Really liked to see them. That's very so specific cool. animals. Go. Uh, the team favorite, I will agree, but also again, like I like everybody, um, was uh, Patterson's eland named Ben. Uh, so it's a, a species of antelope that are that are really kind of. I think it's a good way to put it. They're pretty tall, definitely like taller at the shoulder than like Kelly would be, for example. Um, (laughs) And the males are are typically much larger than the females. But one of the things that Ben always does uh, is kind of digs his horns into the ground, um, twirls them around, and then he'll pick his head up and it'll just be covered in vegetation. (laughs) And then it's like he's wearing a hat. That's cool. And most likely he's doing this as sort of uh, like a way to spread his scent around the savanna. Like there's probably some sort of communication, like a social aspect to this behavior. But really what it looks like is that he's making grass hats all the time. <laughs> and everybody that. really likes that.
0: Yeah. It One, it's really interesting to me that all of the animals you seem to enjoy. Like you don't seem to have a favorite. Like I feel like if I was a zookeeper... It's like, I only like the big cats or like, I only like the birds.
1: That's really common. Um, I think that's a a very common zookeeper persona uh, that you like a specific type of animal because it's really different. Like taking care of birds would be really, really different than say being a keeper for the tiger. Yeah. Um, uh, Definitely different concerns from day to day. Like as a bird keeper, a lot of that time is, is made up with, you know, making diets for hundreds of birds who are all getting these individual breakfasts. Um, it's, you know, putting up new perching for them, making sure that all of the, like, housing is completely, like, swept out and clean. So specifically when I say that I work as a bird keeper, um, there's a few different bird teams at Animal Kingdom. And for anybody who's listening that's, like, familiar with the park, you can think of different areas where you might find birds. Um, one of the areas is going to be on the, going to call it Pangani, but that's not what it's called anymore. Gorilla Falls Exploration Trail uh, <laughs> in Africa, and then the Maharaja Jungle Track in Asia. Both uh, have walks through aviaries. Those are two separate teams, so they're part of the same overarching keeper team, but it's different groups that are taking care of the birds in those places. And then in, behind the scenes, the backstage area there's an avian research center. So it's where birds can be when they're not going to be on stage for whatever reason. So maybe, you know, you have a species of birds in the park where mom and dad are in one of the walkthrough aviaries. They've had a bunch of kids. They kick their kids out of the nest. And those kids would normally in the wild leave and go very far away because that aviary is mom and dad's territory. And once the birds get a little bit older, so like hammer for instance, was a really good example of that. They're a really cool looking bird. Kind of, they make a giant like nest that's high up in the tree that's like huge, you could probably stand on it. Wow. And they're a little, they're a brown bird with a long pointy head. So mom and dad hammercop would stay in the aviary and their kids would go off to other zoos. But in the meantime, they need to have somewhere where they can stay that's safe that mom and dad aren't going to constantly be like, yo, I kicked you out of the nest. Why are you still here? <laughs> We're going to fight. Um, so they would be at the avian research center backstage. So that's where I worked. So we had birds of tons of different species. Um, we have lots of cool conservation projects. So like Micronesian kingfishers that are super endangered in the wild. Um, there's a breeding program that's going on back there. Um, but because these birds are so endangered and so valuable. Uh, they're very closely monitored for this breeding program, so it's happening backstage instead of like in the park where it's loud and scary and there's people.
0: Right. I like he- I like hearing about the work that Disney's doing behind the scenes because they kind of talk about it when you take the safari. You know, they're like, you can donate, and it goes to that, but you don't see it, and so sometimes it's hard to understand how serious it is or like what all's going behind the scenes. Like just that alone is really cool.
1: Yeah. So that was one of my favorite parts about um, being an educator is getting to talk about all of the cool conservation projects that Disney does and also where that money is going when guests are donating to uh, the Disney Conservation Fund. Oh, yeah.
2: That that brings me to a question I wanted to ask. You've obviously worked now some in non-Disney um, animal relations uh, in different zoos or, or whatever it is that that you've been. What's the like? What's the big difference between like you know? What's your what was your Disney experience like that um, you haven't found in other places, or maybe that you've found had lacked in certain areas? Like how how does it compare? That's
1: a really good question. So Disney like as a zoo itself so like disney's animal kingdom or epcot as an aquarium these are on par with some of the best facilities in the world when it comes to the resources that they have to dedicate to these animals and also to the staff and um, so partially because disney's great and everybody wants to work there um, they really can have their pick of of anybody anybody in the world basically so you're not just gonna be able to to come off the ground and start as an animal keeper at Disney unless you're kind of within the family already if that makes sense uh so if they know you and they trust you and they think this is somebody that I this is some like a new beginning keeper that I can build up that I already know otherwise there are keepers coming into the into the jobs there with like 20-30 years of experience uh, wow. so they know what they're doing they know they're um, so they have these resources, they have these really cool conservation projects that are going on um, that keepers can be involved in. And then also, because they have a lot of keepers, they also have time for projects that other smaller facilities might not necessarily get to do. So part of that is a really, really big in, um, emphasis on training. So like I mentioned with the the Saddle belt Storks, that's all behavioral husbandry. So training animals to participate in their own medical care uh, so that it's much less stressful on the animals, much less stressful on the keepers, much less stressful on the veterinarian. <laughs> um,
2: that makes so sense. they have
1: these really great training programs because they have more of the time and training and expertise to be able to do it. And basically anywhere you go at, you know, one of these, like at Animal Kingdom or at Epcot, at some point in the day, you'll be able to watch a training program, whether that, you know, at Epcot, they do uh, training with, or at least they did when I was there, with their spotted eagle rays. So like Mr. Ray from Finding Nemo, they yeah. have uh, many of those that are trained to uh, like target. So they have a specific, like like a PVC pipe that one of the aquarists is literally in the water, scuba diving, holding. The stingray has to ray they're not stingrays technically um, so the <laughs> ray has to come over they have to touch uh their their face to the target that the aquarius is holding go to a certain swim out to a certain point in the aquarium and then swim back and touch it again and then they get rewarded and that's how they get their their food so they're not just given all of their food like okay here you go um, because that's how you make animals you know kind of lazy and, and maybe a little bit fat so you have them work for it a little bit and my favorite part about watching those training sessions is they would have the senior aquarist do it, and they would also have the intern do it. And uh, the ray that I saw um, the most, she would, she, she could tell whether it was the senior aquarist or the intern, <laughs> and she would go the full length for the aquarist, but for the interns, maybe weren't quite as sure where she was supposed to go, she would like swim half the distance. Because it's harder <laughs> to tell when you're in the water, but if you're actually standing in the aquarium watching, you're like, wait, she didn't. She didn't do it right, and she's getting rewarded anyway because she knows
2: that, that's an intern.
1: Uh, I love I'm gonna that. I'm going to get yeah. my clams no matter what. <laughs> they're um, smart. Yeah, they're they, you can train anything, honestly. But it's really cool to see. So that's a really a really great thing about what the Disney. Um, kind of an interesting thing that I had noticed though is there's a lot of there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Um, mm. so Disney. Not just in animals programs, but at basically every level of the operation. It's super management heavy. And there's lots of different levels of managers and who's managing the managers and who's doing that. You have a lot of opinions <laughs> about the right way to do something. Of course. And, you know, sometimes that's really great because you have systems in place. You have regulations to follow. You have people who are experts in the field that are lending their opinions. But also, you have a lot of people who are used to being, you know, the king and queen of their own castle before they came to Disney, because they came from leaves that don't have this many people. So you might be a keeper um, in an area out of you where you're you're taking care of this whole long string of animals on your own. And then you come to Disney, and you're taking care of the same number of animals, even five other keepers with you, who are all used to working alone. And so... Sometimes it's like great we can, you know, have collaboration, we can work together and then sometimes like I'd rather be doing this by myself.
0: Right.
2: I can buy that. I I worked in small startups where I've done a lot of stuff and then gone to larger companies and had that same experience where it's like, I used to just be able to do everything by myself Mm -hmm. and not have to ask a million people. And now it's harder. So, yeah, but there's the benefits too, but
1: definitely pros and cons Mm -hmm. and, and animal people are a little, a little different. So sometimes they want to just be out with their animals and not necessarily be interacting with people. I hear this a lot in the veterinary world, lot lobby keep of actually don't want to talk to people, which is wrong. <laughs> Nobody say that. You work with people the most as a veterinarian. You have to be very, very skilled at interacting with your peers and your clients and people who don't know what they're talking about and people who do. It's all about interaction. But as an animal keeper, there's a little bit less of that. Uh, so a different youth that I worked at um, at like a, a rounds meeting in the morning like with the animal health team um I heard it put it's a lot of people having a meeting who would rather not be talking to each other <laughs> <But> sometimes <laughs> things would get a little bit tense and there was always like a puzzle on the big table in the middle of the room so we're like mom and dad are fighting over here you just like work on your puzzle and avoid <laughs> eye contact that's um,
0: yeah that's so really smart
1: it worked uh, really well
0: and was that your kind of going back and forth between the two jobs with the birds and um, was that kind of your last position at Disney?
1: Yeah, so technically Wild Africa Trek was was my last position at Disney. I did another temporary assignment um, with the Aturi Animal Care Team. Um, so that's the team that does, uh, like the first half, basically, of the Kilimanjaro Safari ride. So the point, um, the point right up until they you know turn the corner and you see the big savanna, all the animals before that point are the Aturi. Um, teams. Okay. So I specifically worked with um, the female hippos. So it's the pool that has a bunch of hippos at it. Um, there's pinkback pelicans, and then uh, now crocodiles, which is pretty cool. And as like the very babyest level of keepers, like I basically like helped clean, helped feed everybody, but I fed the crocodiles every week, and that was always really cool.
0: I would be so scared to be near the hippos.
1: They definitely are, are pretty intimidating. Um, they're very large and their mouths can open very, very wide. Uh, but when you're working with these animals, it's all through protected contact. So there's always going to be a barrier between you and that animal. Um, but interestingly, the barriers of animals like hippos, um, there's they're like they're bollards, like big columns, basically in their uh, they're like nighttime barns. But they're spaced apart so that the hippos can't come through, but I could very easily walk through. So it's like, I know that I can't go in there, but, like, I could. Right. But obviously, right. I wouldn't. Yeah, <laughs> It's just, it's very psychological. But they were super, super cool. It was honestly really hard learning how to tell them apart. Uh, <laughs> but then once sure. you figure it out, like, wait, how could I ever have gotten, like, who, who would I have gotten confused with? Like, Geraldine and Mezcal, like, they look so different.
2: Uh, well, of course, we all know that. Yeah.
1: But that was really great. And so during that last year, um, I actually was applying to veterinary school. Uh, So my my very first day on the job as a zookeeper, taking care of birds, um, we had a bird that actually was sick and needed to go to the hospital. And I got a really cool procedure um, done by the veterinarians. And I had again, that that was like, wait, I'm on the wrong side of the table here. I don't wanna be the keeper. I wanna be the vet. And at that point, I had already tried out a lot of different jobs within the zoo field to know for sure that being the vet was the role that I saw myself in the best. And so I reached out to one of the veterinarians at Disney and I just said like, hey, I'm Rachel. I'm one of your keepers. I work for the bird team. Like, I'm interested in being a vet. Can I come talk to you? And he was incredible, super supportive, very gung-ho about Here's all the steps that we need to do to get you into veterinary school. You're going to go. And his plan was actually for me to go to the University of Florida. But instead, I ended up here in Massachusetts at Tufts and got to experience winter uh, for the first (laughs) time since I was a very, very small youngin. And not for me, but it's been (laughs) a really, really incredible experience. And I've been able to keep building on that zoo experience and aquarium experience by working at some of the facilities. Uh, here in the New England area too.
0: Cool. It sounds, you said something earlier that was very uh, triggering to me of of that. Yeah, like people think vets just don't want to be around people. They want to be around animals. It seems like being a veterinarian, you're going to get to have that educational side that, you know, helping people and educating them as you're educating us and while still getting to do the more technical uh, hands-on stuff.
1: Exactly. I think...
0: All of these little
1: career steps I've taken have been so beneficial for me as a clinician. Everything I've done is going to help me be a better doctor, a better advocate for my patients, more willing to go out there and learn about my patients. And also, I really, really love the educational aspect of being a doctor and getting to talk to owners about, you know, when should my dog be spayed? Or... Why is she doing that? Or my cat is is making this like purring noise. Is it broken? <laughs> the question I did get asked. No, it's not broken. That means it likes you. You're doing it right. Wait, that's and, so. And, funny. Yeah, it's it's something that's been a little bit harder to explain. Being outside of you know the Disney universe up here in New England, um, my background is honestly more of just a cool, fun fact to people. They don't really get to understand that this is why I am the way that I am this is why I do enjoy so many aspects of my job and of this field it's because this is what I was already doing um just with a different crowd basically yeah
2: you you can tell you're already like I mean I I can see how you would have been successful in the fields that you've been in because you are a good communicator and a good educator already so I think that's just gonna um yeah no it's 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 very evident and I think that's very cool
0: I I'm excited to hear uh, where your next steps are as a as a vet. Uh, Do you is there a world where you go back to the Disney family there, or do you find yourself at a different zoo? That is a question
1: I get asked literally all the time. I tell people where I came from, and then they say, "Okay, so you're going to go back to Disney as a vet, right?" But just like with the keepers that come in with their 20 years of experience. Their veterinary team is also not for beginners. <laughs> uh, so the next step for me, um, once I, I'm going to graduate in May, I'm going to go on to do a postgraduate internship. So uh, this is different than the internships that I had done previously in undergrad. Uh, so think of it as just your first year as a doctor training, the same way with human medical doctors, their first year is called an internship. And then they go on to residency after that. Uh, The difference being that in the veterinary world, if you just want to be a family vet, you don't actually have to go on to that specialized training. You can just go on to practice um, immediately. But since I do want to go into the zoo world, I'm going to go do um, a specialized internship. Our match day is um, a week from tomorrow. So March 1st. It'll
2: actually, I think, be the day before this releases.
0: Yeah. So
1: match day day is March 1st, uh, where I'm going to be... um, I signed, I guess, a spot as an associate doctor at a hospital uh, that I have previously applied to. Uh, So I'm very, very excited about that. And then after I do an internship year, then I'll be applying for either a specialty internship, so working at a zoo uh, for one year, or for residency. And so for those, you're either based out of a university, and then you go on and and work at other zoos during a three-year period. Or you are at a zoo for that entire three year period, at the end of which you take uh, the, the board exam. So it's a giant two day exam, very, very slow pass rate for the zoo field. It's a very, very difficult exam because, as you can imagine, it's very specific, detailed information about literally every species because literally every species is represented at a zoo or aquarium. Uh, including domestic animals too. So all that cat and dog knowledge will not go to waste. Uh, And then after that, so as a boarded zoo vet, um, that's when I could potentially apply to go back to Disney. Um, They used to be associated with a residency from the University of Florida. You would actually do a year um, at Disney, but now uh, that year is instead at White Oak Conservation Center in North Florida, which is also a super, super amazing facility, Uh, just not a theme park basically. Cool. Um, so uh, we'll I, find out.
0: Well, everyone who's listening has to send those positive vibes to her since when this comes out, it'll, it'll be happening. So everyone <laughs> out put, there
1: in the universe, somebody yes, knows already.
0: Put it out there.
1: Oh. But going back to a earlier question that I guess I didn't fully answer. The other interesting issue that, um, that, happens at Disney that's not necessarily seen at other zoos, is that Disney itself is not a zoo. The Walt Disney Company is an entertainment company. And it's run by people who, while they have the best of intentions and lots and lots of money, they don't necessarily understand what goes into running a zoo, running a conservation facility. Um, And sometimes they can have really Strange ideas of what it is and is not possible to do with animals. Uh, so, like the Wild Africa Trek was was born out of just wanting people to get a more up close and adventurous look at animals. Um, but I think, you know, initially Disney wanted to have a lot more say into like the storyline. They wanted it to have a storyline. Um, and then the educators that actually built the program were like, "No, we're just going to teach about the animals. Like, we're not going to pretend we're in Africa.
0: We're going to yeah. teach
1: about what that the work that's really being done here." Um, or when they come up with ideas for new areas, and they're like, "Yeah, yeah, we just want to have chickens running through the African market," and the keepers are like, "No, <laughs> you can't just have chickens running through the market. They're not going to stay there, first yeah. of all." And they, then also guests cannot be trusted around chickens.
0: No, no. Yeah. And Walt, you know, this is where Walt does need to come in with his love of animatronic birds. Throw some of those in there, get robot chickens. <laughs> <laughs> sure. That's what we
1: would tell people all the time with the crocodiles. Mm-hmm. They don't move very much. Yeah. That's how you can tell they're real. If they were animatronics, they'd be moving more.
0: Yeah. <laughs> My last question, and this has to come from me, um, for the most obvious reason ever. Were you a big Disney fan before this? And did working at Disney make your love of Disney grow or not as much?
1: So, I was a big Disney fan before both of the parks and of like Disney movies. Um, I grew up watching some of the really, really old Disney movies on VHS because my mom was obsessed with them. So, like I've never saw the new Pete's Dragon because I had seen like the old like 50s and 60s whenever that came out. Oh, version. Wow. And so, why would they remake it? We have this really good old one. <laughs> so we watched all of the, the really old Disney movies. And of course, like the, the animated movies were amazing. So I loved that side of it. And then also my family went to Disney a lot, um, like on vacation. And I don't remember why that started. I think we went once when I was in, like ninth grade or eighth grade or something and then they were like this is a great place to go on vacation we're not going to go anywhere else we're just going to keep going here (laughs) and I think before that we'd gone to a lot of different places and then after that we only ever went to Disney anymore (laughs) and then by the time I was you know an undergrad and I was working there it became a really financially feasible option because if you work for Disney you get like a certain amount of free tickets and when you work full-time for Disney you get a lot and that is not to say that if you are listening to this, you should just go and find whoever you know that works for Disney and ask for tickets <laughs> because that's never going to work. Mm-hmm. And also, that person probably hates you.
0: <laughs> that's right.
1: But for my family, it was a really good, feasible option. And so once I did work for Disney, um, I did I do think my my love of Disney in like it grew, but for different reasons. So instead of just having that like magical experience, I've always really liked understanding more about the way things work. And so being a part of that magic, as sappy as it sounds, like that was really important to me. I loved making people's vacations. I loved making them learn while they were on vacation. That was my favorite part, uh, making them so happy and excited to be learning that it was a big part of their vacation and not like school. Uh, so I really liked that aspect of it. But as far as, like, being super into the characters or, like, the merchandise, like, I have lots of Disney merchandise, but it was because I had a Mondo discount and it was cheaper to buy things there uh, than, <laughs> than other stores. They didn't have a discount at Target, uh, so I could just buy things at Disney instead. I uh, love it. Which is really great, the more stores that opened, um, But, like, I've never been, like, super into the characters. I was much more into the architecture of the parks themselves. So I really loved the rides and the food and the restaurants. Big fan of drinking around the world at Epcot. Uh, (laughs) But I was always very uncomfortable around the characters themselves. I feel Uh,
2: like we're on the same page. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. There were other things to do. I could go visit the animals instead.
0: Yes, I think that is the perfect answer. And is kind of what Disney is supposed to be. It's this fun entertainment that's also educational. And I... Right. i mean that's i love that so
2: all right so uh last question i usually like to round out um our episodes with some type of hypotheticals uh like why you're on your way out of the park and there's a short right, line at this ride Do you go on it that kind of thing um for you specifically uh okay. you are approached by dr john hammond and he wants to offer you a role at jurassic park would you work at jurassic park no okay, <laughs> Jurassic
1: is terrible they have no secondary containment on any of their animals they have really really terrible animal care that's going on they have people like chris pratt who don't understand training and like behavioral husbandry at all
2: shots fired no. i love it
1: that that's exactly no. the answer i
2: wanted thank you
1: oh my god I think anybody in the animal world should say the same you see jurassic world on your or jurassic park On their resume, that's a big red flag.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Oh, my God. That was lovely.
0: Well, thank you so, so much for coming and talking all about the animals with us.
1: Thank you for having me. I love talking about all of these animals, obviously. And it was a big part of my life for a long time. So it's fun to get to reminisce about it a little bit.
0: Well, we're really excited. And we'll all be thinking of you next week. Thank you. Yay! Will, that was so fun.
2: That was fun. Thanks, Rachel, for coming on.
0: Thank you so much, Rachel. And like I said, we're sending positive vibes your way.
2: I hope you match somewhere cool.
0: I know. We're going to pester you. I want to like, I'm like a fangirl of your career now. (laughs) (laughs) I I do think it's so cool that uh, getting to hear about her wanting to work specifically in the zoo environment, how that was inspired by her experience at Disney, um, she, get, she, I feel like she gave me all the like right corny feels that I love without trying.
2: Yeah, uh, but also had like a, a a good separation from the Disney fan uh, fan obsessive side of things too. So I feel like she was a good combination of the both of us.
0: <laughs> I guess that's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, Will, do you have a favorite animal? No. Really.
2: I don't know. I was trying to think of one, but I, I not not the one I can think of.
0: When you do go you? to a zoo, do you have things that excite you that you want to go see?
2: I don't. I can't think of the last time I've been to a zoo. Now I want to go. Uh, Rachel has inspired that in me. But I know um, she
0: made me feel yeah. better about like the animals are well treated and like I can be okay, like not worried. Yeah. About...
2: Um, what's your favorite animal?
0: Well, I have a lot.
2: That doesn't uh, constitute favorite. Favorite means like the single one.
0: Well, I love bunnies.
2: That's I it. Always That's the have... one you get.
0: No. And then I also love emus, and I also love capybaras.
2: Okay. Which one's your favorite of those three?
0: Well, one's like a childhood nostalgia. This is like asking, like, I don't know. Well.
2: You started this line of questioning.
0: Darn it. <laughs> I did, but I I more just wanted to know yours. Well, that's thoughtful.
2: <laughs> um, bears.
0: Oh, I love bears.
2: All right. Um, if you love bears, too. <laughs>
0: Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe anywhere you listen to your podcast. You can also listen to our podcast on our website, sliceofdisney.com.
2: Yeah, and if you uh, want to reach out to us, um, you can do that over social media, um, on Facebook and Instagram at Slice of Disney, or on Twitter at Slice underscore of underscore Disney.
0: You can email us at sliceofdisneypod at gmail.com, and uh, make sure to check out our Patreon.
2: Yeah, we're releasing some uh, fun themed episodes every month, uh, we're doing some movie nights, uh, some extra kind of cool content. So if you like us or if you just want to support us um, or if you don't like us and you just hate money, um, go, to your, <laughs> go to our Patreon and sign up uh, and we can take care of either of those types of fans.
0: Yes, we're, we're super, super, super grateful. So thank you so much for listening. I hope you had as much fun as we did uh, and we'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye.